This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 105 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. I am bringing a solo episode to you today. I have been doing a lot of guest interviews recently. This is something that I've wanted to do more often, and so I am really excited that I've been able to connect with some amazing guests this past few months. I am planning on continuing that, but I will do the occasional solo episode, depending on what topics come up that my listeners want me to talk about. So today, I am bringing you an episode discussing the impact of playing video games on executive functioning and working memory. So there was a study that came out recently that got a lot of airtime, I guess you'd say, on social media. And I wanted to go through the study and explain what it actually showed. Because people have been, in my opinion, misinterpreting it, or at the very least, not really explaining the nuances when they've been posting about it. As always with social media, posts are usually really quick, people are skimming, and a lot of times it's hard to communicate nuance in a really short post or reel that's only a minute long. So thankfully with podcasts, I can go a little bit longer and explain more details about this study because while I am not a fan of the way that people are interpreting it, when you actually read the study, the researchers and the authors are actually pretty transparent about what the study does and doesn't show. So that's why I wanted to get into it today. So I will include the link to the study in the show notes so that you can check it out yourself. And I would encourage you to do so because if you've just been reading the social media posts, you probably haven't been getting the entire story. Now, before I get going, I wanted to remind you about my Executive Functioning Implementation Guide. The Executive Functioning Implementation Guide walks through why executive functioning is so important to school-age kids and really to everyone. But in this guide, I share the roles of everyone who's working with K-12 kids. So parents, teachers, students, related service providers, paraprofessionals, and I get into how each one of those people can play a role in supporting executive functioning. Everyone has a unique role in this process. Not everyone's looks the same, but everyone can make a difference. In the guide, I also share why this is so important why some kids experience anxiety despite going to talk therapy, why certain kids appear to be unmotivated despite being given rewards and punishments, and why adult-led social skills groups don't actually end up improving social skills in a lot of kids. So to check out this guide to learn how you can help school-age kids develop independence and resilience, 
check out the guide. You're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash efschools. Again, that's drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash efschools. Now, please enjoy this review of the ABCD study on the impact of video gaming on cognitive performance in children. Okay, so let's talk about this study. As I said before, I don't have any issue with the way that the authors explained the results of this study or the article that's been floating around. I have an issue with the way that people are interpreting it on social media. A lot of the interpretations are kind of like, yay, video games are good, let's play video games with our kids. Now, of course, playing video games is not something that, you know, again, there's many people who are doing very well, who choose to play video games, so I'm definitely not saying that this is an all or nothing thing, but I do encourage people to look at the nuance. So let me start by looking at the article and starting with the title. So I'm just gonna go down the page of the news release that's been floating around and just go paragraph by paragraph and really hit the high points. So the title of the news release is Video Gaming May Be Associated with Better Cognitive Performance in Children. So there's nothing wrong with that title, but we need to pay attention to the words, especially the word associated. So notice that it says associated, meaning correlated, meaning there's a relationship. We're not saying that video games cause better cognitive performance. We're just saying there's an association. And if there's an association, we don't know if it was the chicken or the egg. Do these kids already have good cognitive performance? and they're choosing to play video games? Or is it the other way around where the video games are causing the increase in cognitive performance? So even by that title alone, we don't know which is which. Now, the sub headline, which is not really getting talked about, is important. It says underneath that title, additional research necessary to parse potential benefits and harms of video games on the developing brain. So this is read directly from the news release. So that part is very important. That part shows the nuance. Basically, it's saying that we need more information to tell if video games can harm or benefit the brains of kids. So one of the strengths of this study is the sample size. There were nearly 2,000 children who were studied. So that is a good thing for the researchers because there's a big sample size. So the bigger the sample size, the more you're able to generalize findings to the general population just because you have a lot of data. But what we don't know, at least not from the news release, is what is the impact of potential disabilities, do these kids have ADHD? Do they have other underlying conditions that might have impacted their cognitive performance? Those factors, when you have a big sample like this and you're lumping everyone together, it can be really important to note those differences because something like 
device use is going to be different for a neurotypical person versus a person who is not neurotypical. So that's really important here because we know that certain populations may have a difficult time putting a preferred task down, which video gaming is one of the most common things. So we don't really know, do these children in the study have the ability to take their video games, put them away, and then transition to something else? Or are these kids in the study having a difficult time actually putting the games down? So that's really important because if you have someone who is only playing video games and doesn't have a lot of other activities that they're engaging in, then that is a sign of cognitive rigidity. That is something that we need to take into account if we're going to say, hey, this study says that the video gaming is associated with better cognitive performance. So sitting here and playing a game and not doing other things is just fine. We don't want to make that assumption based on this study. And that is what I am concerned about based on the way that people are interpreting this study. We don't know the neurological status of the children who were in this study. We do know their cognitive abilities, but we don't know the presence of certain diagnoses that might impact how they interact with these devices and how they interact with other activities that they might be doing. It's possible that a child might be able to perform well on some of the cognitive tasks, or in this particular study, they did do MRI. So it's possible that those things could indicate a certain level of cognitive performance, but the functional skills that the child is engaging in are not as high. So for example, you might have a child who is very bright, but they could still be having a difficult time with social skills, with relationships, with turning in assignments, with actual performance. So we don't know any of those things. So really just looking at these isolated measures without thinking about how these things can impact kids globally is really a myopic way of looking at things and could be potentially harmful if we're not taking the big picture into account. It is kind of interesting to note further down in the article, the researchers did note that the kids who played video games had higher rates of behavioral issues and depression. It was not statistically significant, but they did note that this was something that we want to keep in mind for future studies. There's a chance that if you isolate certain variables and look deeper into different populations, that there actually could be some negative impacts of video games. So just because we have a couple cognitive measures that showed a higher association doesn't necessarily mean that this is something that is good for kids. Now I would say the biggest elephant in the room, the thing that's getting misinterpreted the most, is the experimental design. This study was correlational, which means that they looked at a group of children and looked at variables after the fact. So they just took a group of nine to 10-year-old kids and looked at the patterns in their behavior. They did not manipulate variables. So all they did was they surveyed kids on their habits and patterns, and then they did some tests to see what the association or the correlation was between what they reported and 
their cognitive abilities that the researchers were measuring. So because they measured this after the fact and just looked at a correlation between variables, we can't infer that one thing caused another. The only way that you're able to do that with a study is if you have an experimental or a quasi-experimental study where you are giving a group of participants a, if you're, when you're putting them in one condition versus another condition, and you are physically delivering whatever the conditions are. So for example, if the researchers were to put kids in a group of you know, this group did not play video games, and then another group was instructed to play video games for a certain length of time, and then they looked at the relationships after the fact, then you can infer some causation there because you are delivering the conditions. You're actually considering what is happening during those conditions. When you do things from a correlational study, you aren't necessarily controlling what's going on. So for example, because they were asking kids what happened after the fact, there are many things that they didn't take into account. Whereas if you're delivering the condition, you can control some of those things. It's not perfect, but because you're the one that's putting the participants in one group versus another group, you can tell what was delivered. There's fidelity of that treatment condition. So. In this case, the researchers didn't know what that actual environment was where kids were playing video games because, again, they were asking after the fact. And this is always the case with correlational studies. As the saying goes, correlation does not infer causation. So that's something that's really important here. We know that there is a relationship between cognitive performance or the specific measures that the researchers used to measure cognitive performance and video gaming, but we don't know which one caused which. So the results of this study showed that kids who played video games for up to three hours a day had higher impulse control. We don't know if those abilities existed before and that impacted their video gaming behavior, or we don't know if the video gaming behavior impacted the cognitive performance. Again, chicken or egg, we cannot infer this. It's possible that this is a causal relationship, but we don't know for sure. So I have a couple theories. There's a chance that the kids who had higher cognitive performance, you know, maybe they are better able to balance preferred and non-preferred activities. We don't know if those kids are engaging in other things that might have impacted their cognitive performance. We don't know if perhaps they are better able to go from one activity to another. So again, because we're asking after the fact, we are unaware of these other variables. Whereas if the researchers were to actually deliver the conditions, they would have more of this information. They would have been able to control for more of those outside variables as far as what the conditions were. One of the other things that we don't know is that we don't know the genre or the type of games that are going to impact cognitive performance. They mentioned in the article that there's a chance that puzzle-solving games might be better than shooting games, for example. 
So I know that if I had a 13-year-old boy, I would probably not want him to be playing something like Call of Duty, which is very violent. I'd probably feel more comfortable with something like Minecraft that involves building things. So that's just one example. We don't really know what features of the games are going to be beneficial. Again, we don't necessarily know what type of games these kids were engaging with. So there's a lot of information when it comes to what they were doing and what really is impacting the cognitive performance that we don't know. We can't make a global assumption that allowing a child to play video games for three hours a day without knowing these factors, we, we just can't really tell if that is a good thing or a bad thing based on these results. So while we know that there's a chance that certain games and certain types of activities that involve device use could potentially impact cognitive performance in a positive way, or at the very least not have as much of a negative impact as we think, we just really don't know and we need to continue to research, which the researchers in this particular study were very transparent about. So I would encourage everyone, if you have seen the results of a study floating around the internet that says video games are associated with higher cognitive performance, if the people posting it are mentioning the ABCD study, I encourage you to read the study and make sure that the clickbaity headlines that are being posted are true when it comes to what is in the news release. So I will link to the news release in the show notes so that you can read it. It is a an interesting read and it does give us some information about what directions for future research are needed. Yes, we are probably not going to eliminate video games. We need to be mindful with how we engage with them. We need to know these pieces of information because many kids are going to engage in these activities. I will tell you that if you have a child who only plays video games, does not have any other activities that they're participating in if the only quote peer interaction is through gaming and if they have severe behaviors when they're asked to put the games down if they have a very hard time motivating themselves to do anything else outside the game that is not healthy behavior despite what the results of this study are showing on the other hand if you have a child who has a group of friends that they interact with both via online means and they're also doing a lot of activities in person with their peer group. If they have a variety of activities that they enjoy doing, they're getting their assignments done, they're interacting with their family, they're building relationships, and they also choose to play video games, then that is much less concerning that might be okay. As I have said before, when we are interpreting the results of science like this, we have to understand the nuance. Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you to check out my free executive functioning implementation guide. 
when we are talking about device use and helping kids to be able to persevere through non-preferred tasks, to be able to put down preferred tasks and motivate themselves to do things that are challenging, we need to build their executive functioning skills. The reason that many kids have a hard time putting something down and doing something that requires a big learning curve is because they have a hard time visualizing the steps that they need to do in order to get the task done, as well as visualizing themselves being successful with said tasks. They also have a difficult time thinking about past events and applying them to the future to be able to make decisions, as well as motivate themselves and see themselves being successful. And that's why it's much easier to just focus on something easy and rewarding like a video game. So it's very important that everyone who interacts with kids be embedding work on executive functioning to help them build the resilience that they need in order to transition from one task to another. This is going to translate from one setting to another if we build these skills the right way. So that's why everyone who interacts with K-12 kids plays a unique role. Everyone can play a part and make an impact. And in the Executive Functioning Implementation Guide, I explain exactly what everyone's role is because everyone does something different. What a parent does is going to be different than what a teacher does or what a teaching assistant does or what a related service provider does, like an SLP, social worker, psychologist, counselor, somebody else who is providing a therapy service for the child. Interestingly enough, if you are a related service provider, you can be someone who leads the initiative to get executive functioning support embedded into the child's day. You can be that agent of change that makes a difference in that child's life or in the lives of your caseload and the entire student body, really. Once you start to chip away at this, you can really make an impact on your organization on your caseload and on your field as a whole. Think about how amazing that would feel. Now I know that that can seem pretty overwhelming. That's why I've outlined how you can get started in the executive functioning implementation guide. The first step is understanding what everyone's role is and why these skills are so important. To get your free copy, you're gonna to wanna to go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash efschools. Again, that's drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash efschools. Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you that it helps me out so much. If you rate, review, subscribe, follow the DeFacto Leaders podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'm always looking for interesting guests who have shown some type of leadership in supporting K-12 kids, regardless of their official job title or role. So if you have a suggestion for a guest, or if you would like to be a guest, please email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.